Amen. Today you've arrived now at the 40th anniversary of the erection of this building and coming to this site and establishing this place for the preaching of the gospel. I am also told it's 65 years from Korean Free Church came into being. Therefore, I would suggest, and not knowing you, that many of those people who were faithful in the early days have gone home to their eternal reward. They're with Christ, and they've heard the well done, good and faithful servant. There have been many changes from the early days. Of course there have. Even the clothes change, don't they? I mean, back in the early days, men had flared trousers. You could have made three pair of trousers with that much material in them. They flapped around. I don't know how men didn't trip and break their necks wearing those things. But, you know, go back 40, 45 years. It was so, so different, wasn't it? And the 40 years passed quickly. And yet, it is quite a long time. It passes quickly, but it's a long time. The last 40 years have brought about great change in our land. So many things are different now. Our homes are a lot more comfortable, aren't they? We have a lot to thank the Lord for in the harvest service. We have everything we need. I'm sure we nearly have an ensuite in every bedroom now. It wasn't like that 40 or 50 years ago. Things have changed. Changed dramatically. The cars, they're so different. Do you remember having to park them at night time on a wee slope so to give them a run and a jump start in the morning because they wouldn't start? If I did that now, straight back to the garage, looking for a refund, they wouldn't put up with it. But that's the way it was back then. Of course, the computers and the mobile phones in particular have changed the way we all live dramatically. Dramatically. Forty years ago, and the young ones won't appreciate this, but it was a big thing to get down to Larne, get on the ferry, go across to Ayr for a couple of days for your holidays, and stay in a and b Now, anything less than Disneyland in Paris or Disney World in Orlando, and that's not a holiday, that's no good. It wasn't like that 40 years ago. Absolutely not. But I also see many changes that are not for the better. Many of them are, of course. We're thankful for them. But when I think of the sin that's on the increase now, that it probably was there under the surface, but it wasn't as much to the fore and in your face. But now, 40 years later, it's there big time. The rebellion, the anarchy, the lack of respect, the things that have increased over the last 40 years that are not good, it is quite frightening. 40 years ago, do you remember in Korean, there probably was hardly a shop opened on the Lord's Day? Hardly one. Maybe even none, I don't know. But now, the shops are open, the pubs are open, the leisure centers are open, the restaurants are open, and professing Christians are going to them on the Lord's Day, buying and selling, going out and think nothing of it. Wow. Things have changed. 
40 in the Bible, of course, is a very important number. It's the number of trial and testing. The rain in Noah's day lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Genesis 7 and 4, for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The wandering in the wilderness, it lasted for 40 years. Exodus 16.35, and the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. 40 years of testing, or 40 days of testing when the rain came. 40 years of testing as they wandered in the wilderness. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. It says in Matthew 4 too, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. So 40 is the time of testing, trial. Maybe you're going through a trial tonight. It might be a real test for you. Maybe the congregation's going through a trial You've hit 40 years in this building. Challenges come. We still have to go on with God no matter how difficult it is. The number 40, of course, has a special significance for the man that God used to write these words in Deuteronomy. That's Moses. I'd like to think you all know the significance of 40 for Moses. For a start, he lived for 120 years, and his life was divided into three equal parts 40 years each. For the first 40 years of his life, he was brought up in the palace at Egypt. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything the world had to offer for 40 years. Education, riches, privileges, position. Moses had it all for 40 years. But that all came to an end whenever he slew the Egyptian. He had to go on the run then. I want you to remember something. No matter what you get in this world, no matter what you achieve, no matter what advances you make, no matter what position you're in, it comes to an end. It all comes to an end, maybe sooner than you or I think, but it comes to an end. After 40 years of privilege, Moses discovered it's all over now as far as Egypt and the palace and Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter and all of that. It's all over. Moses then spent the next 40 years of his life in the backside of the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep. What a come down. What a change. What a transformation. But it taught Moses something. It taught Moses that just what he is in the world is really what he is with God. That's the important thing. Not what he is as far as the pharaohs are concerned and the bigwigs, but what he is with God. He learned that that was important. That that was vital. So remember, no matter what we have, we can be brought low and brought to realize just how much we need the Lord. And that's Moses for the second 40 years, realizing how much he needs the Lord. And then, of course, we come to the last 40 years of his life. He spent those years leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, having already challenged Pharaoh, let God's people go. He 
leads them to the Red Sea. He leads them across the Red Sea. God opens up the way, leads them through the wilderness. God provides everything they need. This was a time of testing. Moses had heartache galore while he was in the wilderness leading those people. He had all sorts of problems to deal with. All sorts of problems. But it was a time of victory and blessing. And you know something in your own life, Christian, whenever you have all sorts of problems, God turns it around to a time of victory and blessing. He did it for Moses. He'll do it for you. Moses proved when he was leading those children of Israel that God was with him. And there was nothing to fear. He was four square in the center of God's will. Where are we tonight? Are we four square in the center of God's will? So, 40 years have now come and gone here in this place. I'm sure you've had testing times. I'm sure you've had trying times. And absolutely certain you've had triumphant times as well. There are the ups and downs in life. There are the ups and downs in God's work. There are the mountaintops and the valleys. We all have them. And as we look back over what the Lord has done, as you look back in particular, this is your congregation. You remember the work. I'm sure you can identify with the words of 1 Samuel 7 and 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shane and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying... Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Samuel says, right up until this point, God has helped us. And brethren and sisters, it's good to give thanks and say, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. You can raise your Ebenezer tonight and praise God for what he has done. Through the good times and not so good, but he has always brought us through. That's what brings me to the words of our text where it says, these 40 years, the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. Just three thoughts from that statement. Number one, I think it's very clear that we see the Lord's person in this statement. Because twice in verse 7, we read the words, the Lord thy God. Now, this is an important phrase because it is found no fewer than 264 times in the Bible. It's a beautiful, comforting title. The Lord thy God. Martin Luther once said that Christianity is the religion of personal pronouns. And we can say the Lord is our God. He's our God. It's a very personal statement. The Lord was Israel's God. When the Lord called Moses to lead the children of Israel, he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3 and 6. Listen to what God said. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. And I find that statement extremely informative. Because the Lord, our God, is described as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What does that teach us? What does it teach us about the Lord's person and his work? Well, as the God of Abraham, we can say he's the God of revelation. 
The God of revelation. This means that he's the God who has made himself known to us. He has revealed himself to us. Before Abraham was saved, he was a heathen. He was an idolater. He knew nothing about the Lord until, that is, the Lord appeared to Abraham, spoke to him, saved him, brought him out of darkness, brought him into the light. We know that because of Acts 7 and verse 2. What does it say in Acts chapter 7, verse 2? And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared or revealed himself. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Quran. God appeared. God revealed himself to Abraham. I think it's just amazing that the Lord would reveal himself to us. We're only sinners. Sinners who deserve hell. But God reveals himself to sinners. It says in John 14, verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He that hath seen me, that's Christ, hath seen the Father. So God the Father reveals himself to us through Christ the Savior. Through Christ. So the question is this tonight. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has God revealed himself to you through Christ has he done that? I hope he has. I, ho I hope you can say, I have seen the Lord. God has revealed himself. He's the God of Abraham. But he's also the God of Isaac. That speaks of the God of redemption. Redemption. You see, every time we think of Isaac, what do we think of? That incident when his father Abraham took him to Mount Moriah. For what purpose? To offer him as a sacrifice to God. Oh, what obedience Abraham exhibited. Oh, what submission Isaac exhibited to allow his dad to take him. Then they get to the place of sacrifice. The knife's about to be plunged into his son. At that moment, Abraham hears the voice of the angel of the Lord. He looks up and behind him, there's a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. God provided himself a lamb. Isaac was spared. But Isaac speaks of redemption. The Lamb of God speaks of redemption. When you think of the God of Isaac, you think of the God who stepped in to provide salvation. Who stepped in so that Isaac would not have to die, but another died for him. That's the gospel. Another has died for you, sinner. That's Christ on the cross. He has stepped in to save you, to redeem you. This God is the God of redemption. Redemption. And then we come to the God of Jacob. I think of the God of regeneration when I think of Jacob. You see, Jacob, as his name suggests, was a supplanter. He was a twister. He was a grabber. He was a greedy man from the moment of his birth. Sin was to the fore in his life. You would say he was a greedy wee twister. And some might say today, 
A real wee good for nothing, that. That was Jacob. Oh, sin had control of him. It really did. He swindled his brother. He was a cheat and a fraud. He swindled his brother out of the birthright and out of the blessing. There are people who still do those sort of things. Twisters. Cheats. Frauds. That was Jacob. He had to go on the run. Esau was angry. Esau swore that he would get vengeance. He said he would kill his brother because of what his brother had done. But then, while on the run, God stepped into his life and changed him. That's what, that's what the gospel does. It changes sinners, saves them, makes us kings and priests unto God. And there was that time in his life when he met with the Lord, the angel of the Lord came down and this man who was a supplanter became a prince with God. That's what Israel means. See, whenever you get saved, God lifts you out of your sin, makes you into something you've never been before, child of the king, prince with God. We don't deserve that. But that's what the Lord does. He regenerates that which is dead. And he straightens us out. Because Jacob, before he was saved, was a twister. God straightened him out when God saved him. Have you been saved? Has the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob come into your life? Redeemed you from your sin? Straightened you out? Straightened out your walk? Made you a new creature? That's so vital. That's the greatest blessing you could ever enjoy. The blessing of the Lord. That's the Lord's person. What a wonderful person he is that he would do that for us. So loving, so gracious, so kind. But then we have the Lord's presence in our verse. Because it says there, These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Hath been with thee. That's the Lord's presence. Moses reminds these people that for the whole of the 40 years while they were wandering in the wilderness, God was with them. The whole time. Ah, there might have been times when they thought he wasn't, but he was. He's always with his people. Maybe tonight you're down in the dumps and you're discouraged and you think the Lord's not with you. He is with you. He's always with his people. And the presence of the Lord was so precious to these people, it meant two great things to them. Number one, God's presence guided them. He guided them. He went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and protected them, guided them as the pillar of fire by night. When the cloud moved during the day, the children of Israel moved accordingly. And that should be how it is for the Christian. God guides us. God wants us to move in a certain direction. He guides us. Guides us through the word. And we follow what the word says. We do what God says. He's guiding. We're following. God guides. And today we have two great pillars to guide us. The Old and the New Testaments. Now that's what we need to guide us. As a church, if the Lord tarries for another 40 years... You just need the Bible, Old and New Testaments. That'll be sufficient to guide this congregation when the foundation members have all gone. 
and the founding fathers are no longer here, when God has taken the elderly saints home to glory, you who are a little bit younger, you're coming up through the ranks. You do what the founding fathers did. You just take the word and follow the word and keep the work going on. That's what you have to do. You have to do it. For 40 years, in this church, the word of God has been preached. May it always be preached. May the time never come, never come, when it would be fashionable not to preach about being saved. We don't want that to come. I remember years ago, a pastor said to me, if it became fashionable just to preach faith instead of salvation, he would preach faith, whatever the people wanted. Of course, we differed. I said, no. Tell people they need to be saved. This, this word faith, well, if it is saving faith in Christ, that's okay. But this generic term faith can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Everybody's got faith when it comes to death. But were they saved when they were alive? Were they prepared to meet God? We stick with the biblical definitions of God's salvation. May this church stick with it. May God guide you. Not only did God guide with his presence, but he guarded with his presence. And that's important. That, that's lovely. That's encouraging, isn't it? He guards as well as guides. As they went through the wilderness and traveled for those 40 years, they entered enemy territory. It's always easy when you're at home to be a Christian, but it's not so easy when you go into enemy territory. That's when you need to be really careful. That's when you've got to watch yourself. You know what it's like, if you like me, like the old cowboy films, and they went into Indian territory, or Indian territory, as they said, in those old movies. You had to be careful. You could be ambushed or bushwhacked in enemy territory. Well, you know, just as the Israelites, when they entered the wilderness, were in enemy territory, and the Ammonites were there, and the Midianites, and the Amorites, and all do you see while you and I journey here below? It's enemy territory. The devil is out to get us. The prince of the power of the air is out to attack us. We need to remember that. And therefore we need the Lord to guard us. We don't always know where the attack's coming from or what's going to happen. But may the Lord guard you in the days that lie ahead and guard this church and as God guides you, may he guard you. And may he build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it as he builds it. May God build the work in Korean. May he guard it. With the Lord's person here and the Lord's presence here, finally, very quickly, the Lord's provision is here as well. For the text says, These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee, Thou hast lacked nothing. I would safely say, if I went around every born-again Christian in this meeting and said to you, through all of your life, have you lacked anything that you needed? I'm sure you'd all say, no. Look, there might have been some things I would have liked, but I couldn't afford. 
that's totally different. Anything you needed that you didn't have? No. Why is that? Because the Bible says thou hast lacked nothing. God is the one who takes care of us in everything. He met these people miraculously at the point of their need. He provided deliverance when they came up to the Red Sea and they couldn't get through. Who was it that looked after them? It was the Lord. When they came and they needed water and they came to Marah and the water was bitter, they couldn't drink it, it was poisonous. Who was it provided the solution so that they would have water? It was the Lord. Put the tree into it. It'll sweeten the waters. It'll cleanse them. You can then drink of them. Now that reminds me of the cross of Christ. You see where there's sin. That sin needs dealt with. And it's bitter and dear sinner, it's in your heart and life keeps you back from Christ. Get to the tree, get to the cross. Christ can take away that sin and save your soul, sweeten your soul, make you a new creature in Christ. These people discovered this in type at Marah. God was there doing what? Providing what they needed. When they needed manna, who provided it? God provided it. Provided everything they needed. When the Amalekites attacked them, who looked after them? The Lord. It's the Lord you need tonight. It's good to be here to be thankful for the harvest. Can you say you know the Lord of the harvest though? Can can you say you know the Lord in your life? That's the important thing. Missionary statesman Hudson Taylor had complete trust in God's faithfulness that God would make sure he lacked nothing. And that was back in difficult days. In his journal, this is what Hudson Taylor said. I quote exactly. Our heavenly father is very experienced. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did... He would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's true to this day. I'll read that last line again. God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. I believe that's what you've experienced as a congregation over the last 65 years, over the last 40 years, if this congregation stays true to the blood and true to the book, whoever's here in another 40 years to see it, they'll be able to say the same thing. They'll be able to go to this text and say, it's still true. It hasn't changed one bit. The word doesn't change. The promises don't change. They're the same. The promise of redemption is the same. The promise of provision is the same. It's always there from the bountiful hand of God. You need to be redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. Christian, you need to trust the Lord every day. Do that and you'll discover his love never fails. Never. May God bless his word to every heart for Christ's sake. Amen.
Let us bow together in prayer, please, as we conclude our meeting. In conclusion, I will give thanks for the supper. But could I ask you to think about your own redemption? Do you know Christ as Savior? Would you think about that? Do you know the Lord that we've been talking about? The great Savior and provider? If you don't know him, then coming to know him is more important than a supper. There'll be other suppers. If you're concerned about your soul, you can speak to me afterwards. I'll be down at the door to say good night to those who can't stay for the supper. But come to Christ. If you're discouraged tonight, take encouragement. God's with his people. And you lack nothing. You lack nothing as you follow him. Gracious Father, we do thank thee tonight for the precious word of God. We thank thee for 40 years of serving thee in this place and for every person who sat in the pews and every preacher who stood in the pulpit and every person who has taught a Sunday school class and given out a gospel leaflet and stood in the open air and put their tithes and offerings in the plate and every person who has prayed, I thank thee for them all. Bless them all tonight, Lord. Encourage them all tonight. May they know without a shadow of a doubt that their labors are not in vain in the Lord. We think of no doubt many who have gone through the witness and maybe they're out in the world tonight. Could be mums and dads and grannies and grandas here tonight and they're heartbroken. Save their children and their grandchildren. Bring the prodigals back home, Lord. Wherever they are tonight, may the Spirit of the Lord lay hold upon them and convict them and bring them back to Christ. Lord, there's nothing impossible with thee. Help us just to really believe the promises of God and stand upon them. We thank thee for the supper, for the kind hands that have prepared it. May everyone enjoy their supper and in the strength provided by it, serve thee. Gracious God, give us all traveling mercies home tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen, Lord. Amen.